Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. So it's uh, all for play for still? I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains, and welcome to Further Love of Paul McGrath podcast. Um, obviously, news has been circulating over the last few days with regards to um, Sevilla, sporting director, director of football, whatever you want to call it, Manchi, reuniting with Unai Emery at Aston Villa. And it seems that this is getting closer and closer. And I think now is a good time to maybe look and to, to take a look, I suppose, really, at what Manchi would bring to Aston Villa. is an exciting signing. Um, he would be an exciting director of football, in my view, because he has um, working knowledge, I suppose, of Unai Emery. He's worked well with him, as I said, a working relationship together. And also, he's very highly sought after from the point of view of, um, of of previous work that he's done with with Sevilla. Yes, we will touch on the Roma appointment um, because it didn't really work out. I think there's a number of reasons as to why it didn't work out at Roma. Structural differences. um you know, coming into the club and uh, I suppose goalposts being moved from the point of view of, uh, you know, players having to be sold or to uh, having, having to leave the club, which he did. <clears throat> you know, I suppose hindsight is twenty twenty. He sold some players for massive money and then tried to replace a lot of players. So he decimated that squad um, and brought in a lot of money. 
and then had to try and replace it all in one go. And I think there's a lot of learnings. And I think he has shown an awful lot of learnings uh, from that period at Rome. And we will touch on that very, very briefly. Um, very briefly as well. And also what I want to do is I'm going to play, play a little excerpt from a podcast I did last year, seven or eight months ago, with uh, Graham Hunter, where he speaks about Monchi and he speaks about how he... Um, how he interacted with Dunai Emery, how he, um, how the working relationship between the two of them was, and uh, I think that that's really interesting. It's very important to look back on that. I think because uh, you know, Graham Hunter is the doyen of um, of Spanish football. There isn't anybody better at knowing the ins and outs of Spanish football the, within the English media than uh, Graham Hunter. And I was absolutely privileged to speak to him um, again uh, or on this on this topic uh, previously. But uh, let's take a little look, at, I suppose, at Monchi. Um, and and uh, I don't have any slides or anything like this to, to bring up with Monchi other than the very cool graphic of him wearing his, wearing his sunglasses there. Um, but I, I, I think it's interesting, I suppose, to, to, to understand, I, you know, let, let's, let's mention the elephant in the room. You know, let's mention the elephant in the room firstly with regards to Roma because uh, it's it's stuff that gets thrown at him the whole time. Oh, can he work outside the um can he work outside the Sevilla uh, ecosystem? Is he able to do that? And we will look at the Sevilla stuff. So we're gonna start on on what is perceived as the negative um with regards to Monchi. And I'm gonna bring up a little article here um just with regards to some of the signings that Monchi made. Um, when he was at, uh, at when he was at Roma, and this is an interesting article. It is from the Gallorossi Yorkshire um, dot com. So it's a, it's it's an English uh, Roma supporting website. And I just wanted to take a look at some of the players that he signed here because, uh, as I say, it's important to look at this. So let me just share up my screen here. And this is with regards to ranking the signings. It's not I'm, I'm not really interested in what their ranking is, but just looking at the players that he signed when he was there. And this is the link. Link will be in the um, in, in the podcast notes as well to this. Uh, to give them their, their credit. So basically, a couple of players that he signed here, like Javier Pastor, um, very, very well thought of player, came from PSG um, at the time, uh, was brought in and, uh, you know, a real creative player, Argentinian international. It didn't really work out for him as well, but he was an expensive ad addition. Ante Karik uh, was dubbed the next Luka Modric. And a lot of these are hindsight. So hindsight is twenty twenty with a lot of these signings. At the time, they were seen as good signings. They didn't work out with the manager that was there. In um, What was the manager's name? Eusebio de, um, de Francesco. Didn't work out with him. And that's why I think uh, the working relationship between Manchi and, and, and Di Francesco wasn't as smooth as it was between um, between uh, the Sevilla hierarchy and Unai Emery and Manchi as well uh, when he was at Sevilla. So brought in players like Ant Ante Karik, as I say here, in the next Luka Modric, he was mentioned as struggled, they struggled to offload him. He didn't really work out at the club. Jonathan Silva was brought in. Hector Moreno. Um, was was brought in as a replacement for Antonio Rudiger. He sold Antonio. So players that he sold, we sold Antonio Rudiger for a lot of money to um to Chelsea. I think it was 35, 40 million. Sold Matt Mo Salah for 42 million to Liverpool. These can all be seen as as massive negatives for him. But when you think about it, he massed tons of money for Roma, and he was given a short space of time to try and turn things around. Um, and as I said, the working relationship between himself and, and Di Francesco wasn't exactly as smooth as it was. And also the, the structural setup we're going to Roma. I'm, I'm not going to go into it because I don't 
I can't say for certain about an awful lot of those aspects. Just what I've written is a structural aspect that was there. Um, was the ration the rational thought between when they should be selling all these players and then when they should be uh, making the jump forward was what what was very very short. If that's going to make make sense, so your guess you're going to offload all these players, and the remit was you need to offload all these players. We're not going to supplement you with cash. You need to need to raise the cash. And he did so. He raised a ton of cash. Sold Allison, sold a Rudiger, sold um sold uh, even even Hector Moreno. I think he sold Hector Moreno uh, for a profit after being at the club less than six months as well. Um but people like Patrick Schick, once again, Patrick Schick, great striker in his own right, playing with Leverkusen at the moment, um uh, shooting the lights out for, for Czech Republic as well. So he's bought like Javier Pastore. These, some of these players and the majority of these players, there was never really an eyelid batted at them when they were signed. They didn't work out because of the short space of time that was given to him to turn things around at Roma. And his working relationship, I suppose, the way that himself and Eusebio Di Francesco worked together was not as seamless as it was with, with Una Emery. And when you have a director of football and a manager, you know, they have to work hand in hand and they have to work in tandem as well. But let's just go down through it as well. Familiar face, Robin Olsen. That certainly didn't work out for him at Roma. He was shipped off um, later as well, and he had some blunders uh, at Roma, as we're all too aware of as well. Steven Nzanzi, fine player in his own right, was brought in. Didn't work under the manager that was there. Gregory Defel um, had scored some goals for Sassuolo and uh, just came in. Didn't work. Um, he was brought in to be somebody to play alongside um, Aiden Dzeko at the time. Didn't didn't make the step up to play with Roma at all. Maxime Gonalans, once again, um, was uh, ex-captain of Leon, as this says here, and it was a decent signing. He was brought in for decent money, if I'm uh, for 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 uh, reasonable money, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Come in, had a good pedigree within the within the French game. Didn't work out in Serie A. Like there's 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 people that we can go down through here. Justin Clivert was seen as um, a player with tons and tons of potential, as it says there, coming in from Ajax. David Santon um, coming in from um, uh, coming in for, from from Inter um, after he had a spell in in the Premier League as well. Um, so there's a lot of players here, uh, former former Leicester player as well. Bandit went on to play with Leicester. Uh, Mr. Under, I'm not going to try and pronounce his. I think it's Chengiz Under, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, Rick Carr's drop once again. Another, um, uh, he didn't didn't play well for Roma, but was really highly thought of at Feyenoord as well. They paid, I think, 15, 16 million for him. Feyenoord, uh, he, was one of, he was a right back. He was one of their, their highly sought after players. Alexander Kolarov uh, played, you know, came in from Man City. And um, was uh, you know was a real stalwart defender. I think in the Premier League, brilliant free kicking him and stuff like that. So Brian Crescente, you know, you can go down through here. Lorenzo Pellegrini, we know he's turned out to be a really good player. And Nicolas Zaniolo, somebody that we've been linked with recently as well. I'm not too sure on the link there was linked with Bournemouth as well. So what I'm getting at here, guys, is and I'm 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 hammering the hammer straight out of the gap here is that Manchi himself is like. He's often it's often said, oh, he completely and utterly failed at Roma. He on his own didn't fail at Roma. And I think that's completely apparent here when you look at these names. There's some really good players on this list. He was given a job of selling some of his biggest names in the likes of Allison, likes of Salah, likes of Rudiger, and there's a couple more players as well there that he signed that he sold. He was paired with a manager in Eusebio de Francesco, who came from, I think he came from Sassuolo and um, was was betting into the role. And the, just the working relationship between the two of them wasn't 
you know, Manchi, Manchi didn't have full 100% say over all these players. He was in the negotiating part of some of these players as well. But, you know, the working relationship between him and the board and him and, uh, and Di Francesco. And like anybody, if your working relationship isn't there, you got to get out of Dodge. You got to get out of get out of town. And that's what he did with Roma. And he went back to Sevilla. So I think it's important. And I wanted to get that out of the way first because I'm seeing a lot of things. Obviously, look, I'm going to be glass half full. I always am glass half full because I try and come at it from a very uh, rational aspect. I try and see, yes, he's done some good things. And I'm not saying here that this is not his fault. Some of these signings have been poor. Robert Olsen was a poor signing. Um, you know, some of the other players that we mentioned there, they didn't work out for the club. But a lot is placed at, at, at his door of being the blame for all of that. When really the structure in Roma was not set up correctly, he was brought in and seen as that silver bullet that would paper over a lot of the cracks. And Roma didn't really recover for a period of time. And essentially, I suppose it could be labelled at him that they haven't really recovered until until Jose Mourinho came into the club. And that's Roma's issue to deal with. Manchi went back to Sevilla and Manchi won another two European Cups. So I think he won five prior to leaving. He won another two afterwards. He's shown he can build teams and he's and he's got the ability to do that. Another great article that I would ask you all to look at as well is uh, this article here. Um, it's it's from 2016. Okay, it's from 2016, and it's from Sid Lowe. And take a little look down through this because, like all the, this is when Sevilla were at the at, at their pump. Um, no guesses for who the manager was around this time as well. That was with Manchi. Um, so when we look at it here, Manchi was able to go out. He was able to look at players, able to scout players and bring in players on the recommendation of the manager and work with the manager in a good working relationship. You can see there he's brought in players like Dani Alves, Federico Fazio, Martin Caceres, Adriano, um, Rakitic, Julio Baptista, uh, Luis Fabiano, Carlos Baca. All of those were signed for just under 23.5 million. And I own 100 percent understand that the world has moved on from that period of time and that was the mid to the early uh, 2010s the world of football has moved on in those 10 years or so and now in, uh, prices are inflated but being able to look at where all these players came from being able to to see that they were they were heavily scouted they were brought in from different areas they were brought in from different different parts of uh, la liga they were brought in from outside um as in they were brought in from um, from different leagues so he was able to get his get his scouting network out there and work with it, and obviously work with the with the manager to get who he wanted. And they got an awful lot of 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 purchase from it when he was at Sevilla. They won a lot, you know, and a lot of that can be attributed to Manchi and the working relationships he had with the board and the working relationships he had with the managers at the period of time that he was there. And it's re it's a really good article. I would I would advise you to look for it as well. The secret behind Sevilla's success: meet Manchi, the transfer wizard. So, you know, he is. Very, very highly sought after. He would be seen as one of the most stable executives that you could possibly get in there within the within um, the the football administration point of view, along with dealing with transfers and negotiating transfers, and also uh, from the scouting point of view as well. He's obviously going to come in here and work alongside Johan Langer if he comes in. I've said that before. He's going to work alongside him. He's going to work alongside Unai Emery. I think Unai Emery has a lot of power, and getting getting this guy in. So getting out of man. That, like we spoke about previously, who did the U-turn, went back to Barcelona. Very much on the football football administration, negotiation side of things. Manchi has a bit more of a foot in both camps with regards to scouting, with regards to being a sporting director, or a director of football, should I say, that point of view. He's an interesting type of, type of character. 
He's a flamboyant type character, but he's not going to be, uh, he's going to be somebody who's going to want to work for the betterment of, uh, of the club. And we can see it with Sevilla. He's done it with Unai Emery. And I think it's perfect to bring the two of them in. And look, I know there's, but people haven't drawn this comparison, but working relationships are very important. They're superbly important, specifically when you're on the cusp of something like Unai Emery has brought Aston Villa to this moment in time. We know Unai Emery can manage. Unai Emery needs to have somebody in to help him with transfers. And who better to get than the person that he's had the most success with over the course of his, his tenure than Monchi. And I think, it's, I, I think it would be a fantastic appointment from that point of view. Now, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, is he only hiring his, his mates? We, we've been down this road where Perslow has, man, uh, has hired uh, Steven Gerrard previously. This is apples and, an apples and oranges comparison. You know, Perslow had no real working relationship with Steven Gerrard from the point of view of being a manager. He had a working relationship with him from the point of view of maybe managing an underage team at Liverpool. I don't even know if Perslow was still there. He just knew the person. He knew him. He had a relationship with him, didn't have a working relationship with him. And we saw how that worked. Neither of the two of them are at the club anymore. Um, I think both both people are at the club. I think it's unrelated to both people are at the club. If you saw our podcast last night, the end of our podcast, which I'm going to cut up, I'm going to put out as a standalone podcast because I it, it's only like five, six, seven minutes. But um, I, I think it's important. I want to get my point out on that with regards to Christian Perslow. And we're going to be speaking to Paddy later on uh, today with his views on, on Perslow and Munchie. But getting back to Munchie here again, I think that working relationship cannot be uh, cannot be underestimated uh, at all. Um, I just realized that I wasn't sharing the um, my my screen with regards to the the um, 2016 article. So let me just share that up here. So this is the secret. This is the, the article I was mentioning here. The secret behind um, Sevilla's success. Uh, Meet Manchi, the transfer wizard. As I said, Sid Lowe article. You'll be able to find it. It's from Tuesday, the 17th of May, 2016. Really, really good article. I'm not going to read down through it here. Um, but if you do read down through it, you'll be able to see, um, you know, that he he brought in a lot of players. He was able to sell them on. He was able to keep keep the train rolling. There was always a a um, a contingency plan, a, a a continuity plan there with regards to letting players go. And he's not afraid to sell a player at the height of their profitability and be able to try and bring somebody in. Given time, obviously, to bring somebody in to um. To replace them, and I think that was one of the issues with Roma that I mentioned previously. He was t- he sold all these players. He was given little time to bring people in, look for success, and then all of a sudden he decided to to so things weren't going well on the field. But obviously there was bigger uh, issues uh, across the whole structure. He decided to leave and he went back to Sevilla and he was greeted back home with a hero's welcome again. But I would advise you guys to go look at this article. As I say, I'm not going to go down through it again, but it is. Um, it's uh, it's 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 an interesting read and in how he has worked the transfer market, both in incomings and outgoings for Sevilla over his time up until 2016. The reason I'm going back to this 2016 article is because it's pointed towards when Unai Emery was with the team and when Unai Emery was winning titles with the team uh, prior to moving to PSG and on to Arsenal and on to Villarreal and so on and now currently at Aston Villa. So it talks to a time which is relevant towards their working relationship. And I think that that is, uh, that is something that we should be looking at uh, as well. Um, now, what I also want to do is I'm going to do something that I've never really done before. Um, and I'm going to play an excerpt from an article or from a... Um, an interview I did with, with, with Graham Hunter, and I'm going to repurpose this 
for the for the purposes of this podcast because I want to listen to this and I want to listen to it with you guys. So it's in the middle of a conversation. So I understand we're coming in, in the middle of it, but listen to what Graham Hunter talks to with regards to um, Manchi and how Una Emery worked with Manchi and so on. There's about three or four minutes in this. And uh, uh, as I say, it's, it's hard to just pick it out uh, specifically because it, it was brought, it was thrown in the middle of a conversation. So I'm going to start it here. And uh, there's going to be obviously a small bit of chit chat, but listen to what Graham Hunter says, because as I say, if we don't listen to Graham Hunter, then it's our fault because he is Mr. Man who knows about, uh, about um, Una Emery and knows about Spanish football. So, um, let me just uh, share this up here with you guys and see if you're yeah, going to play it. Hopefully, you guys are going to be able to hear the audio on this as I play it now. So here goes nothing. All night, as in, come on, here we are, yeah. Here's the, here's the stinky here's the stinky chat we're setting for you. Come and get the ball if you want it. We're not going to play. We're not just going to defend. We're just going to kick the ball, but we're not going to venture anything. And the minutes were like, all night, and the fans were like, yeah, okay, we see this, but we'll punch you soon. Yeah, yeah, we see it. We'll punch you soon. By 75 minutes in, they were ultra frustrated. They got caught. They got caught in the break. They went, it's only 1-0. They charged forward. And they got sucker punched twice more. And mm. it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't beautiful 1970 Brazil football. It was extremely cagey. It was- see with his Sevilla team. Like, what you see with the Sevilla team, or what you see with we'll his Sevilla team, the likes of Carlos Baca coming in, at, at like his angled runs that Carlos Baca would make, or or yeah. even yeah. with uh, with Villarreal, when you would see he'd get the best out of players who were like like uh, Ibora, for 34 years of age, Edin Capu, Francis Coughlin, thrown on the scrap heap of Premier League football very early and, and, and kind of thrown away. Raul Albiol, who is probably four times my age. I don't know. I think he's what? He must be touching 40 at this stage. And being able to pair them up with the likes of the Pau Torres and the Jeremy Pinos and and the Dan Jumas. And and, and I suppose my next question for you is that, um, and you mentioned when he was at Sevilla that he, and and when he was at, at, at Valencia, he didn't have too much kind of say over transfers. When he got to Villarreal, would he have had more of a say over the transfer policy, uh, and and was he was was he willing to pluck from the academy at Villarreal? And um, because we do think of all these older players that Villarreal had, and the kind of the motley crew for fourteen million that was a that was assembled. But was he adept in playing that market intelligently and utilizing the the, the academy prospects himself? Yeah, if, if you don't mind me being a little bit pedantic, you know, yeah. I think I think you're. You're really close to the bullseye on a lot of the things you've said there about the market. But to be specific, and I know this having talked to Munchie in general, mm-hmm. at Sevilla, Munchie will will involve the manager. Listen, it'll slightly depend on which manager he's getting on yes. best with. But but the club has a system. The club has a transfer style. The club has an idea of how it wants to play, and it's the manager who must fit into it. That means that repeatedly um, a manager might be asked, this player, are you happy? Or, for example, when Lopetegui got Suso, if the player he'd worked with before, he very much wanted him. Yeah, that, that was really important. Um, again, when although Lopetegui was about to be sat, Isco was a, was a player that fits certain criteria from Monsky. I think he took a little bit of a risk, but it was very much Lopetegui pushed. So when I am and he worked at a club whereby if we talk about the old style in England managers running the transfer market, then no. Okay. If 
we talk about was it Sulemonchi and those three um, Europa League victories on the trot and, and the money they made out of the Champions League qualification and group stages and whatever thereafter, uh, was it simply that once you said that that's your lot um, when I deal with it? No, there, there was a there was a degree of involvement, there was a degree of uh, teamwork in, in how they signed, who they sold, and, and when the club said, we need to make money on this player, that's when kind of when I wasn't in a position to say, but no, he can't go for for any sake. So please don't let him go. That that wasn't the situation. So mm-hmm. think about it as a jigsaw that sort of tessellates a little bit. And with um, Villarreal, that was one of the sore points when he said yes to Newcastle. In that, when he'd specifically asked for backing and for certain players, they have a fully they have a slightly different setup than that of Monchi. But they have a fully functioning um, uh, football director department and football research department. And when I am recently got a, a slightly bigger say, and he got a bigger say because he was brought in by the son of the owner, who clearly when you're okay. And I'm just going to stop it there. And the reason I'm going to stop it is because we go on to talk about um, about Villarreal then and the Villarreal owners and why he didn't move to Newcastle there. But what I want, the reason I wanted to show that, and the reason I wanted to play that piece, and I hope to God you all heard it. If you didn't, there's going to be a slight edit here uh, a moment ago just to get the audio in there. But it was really interesting to see there that, you know, the working relationship, and that's why I keep on talking about it. The working relationship between Manchin and Unai Emery is brilliant. You know, they get on well together. They work well together. They've got a simpatico that um, won't inv- won't take an awful long time to, to redevelop between the two men. And as Graham Hunter said there, you know, they were both um, grown up enough to know where their remit was. And as he said, Manchi never went to Una Emery and said, well, that's your lot. Get on with it. You know, if Una Emery needed somebody who would be consulted, he would be uh, looked to for, for his input. And, um, you know, from there, obviously, you know, when players needed to be sold from a balancing the books point of view with regards to Sevilla and, and, and maybe making the maximum amount of profit, maybe that might be the time that Una Emery was um, was overruled from that point of view. But once again, it's one thing overruling somebody, but overruling somebody and staying friends. So stay, saying no to somebody or telling somebody bad news and staying friends with them because they have the trust in you to be able to regroup, re, re-recruit again and continue to keep those uh, those good times rolling, I think, is very, 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 very important. So that's just a little piece on Monchi there um, with regards to Aston Villa being close to, to appointing him as sporting director. We will be back if anything breaks with regards to this with um, with more news on Monchi, uh, just to acknowledge the fact that he has been signed. Paddy's view on this will be coming up, uh, coming up later on today as well. But if you do like this, please give it a thumbs up. Please give uh, a subscription to the, to the podcast as well. It costs you nothing. We're on the road to 6,000 subs um, uh, on YouTube. And also, if you're not a YouTube person, listen to this on your audio podcast. We really appreciate it, no matter how you listen to it. Um, we would love to have you involved and interacting with us um, on any of our platforms. So thank you so much to everybody who has watched this and who is listening into this. Really appreciate all your support. In the meantime, uh, here's hoping that Manchi does sign for Aston Villa. And for all of you at home, I hope you all stay safe, you all stay healthy. And in the meantime, all that's left to say is up the Villa.
Podcast Network.